Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I am John Bodhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media Commentary Columnist at American Enterprise Institute Fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor and Author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rossman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Noah, a, uh, a, a listener... Uh, went on uh, the Apple comment site, and please go to Apple and leave us a glowing five-star review uh, and leave funny comments like the following. Noah, the listener says that I do not speak the name of your book enthusiastically enough when I I say The Rise of the New Appearance. I heartily agree. Uh, Frankly, (laughs) I think you should be singing it. I would like it in A minor. Appreciate that. Maybe a little musical sting beforehand. Something to get everybody excited, you know? Fair enough. Well, if you can, <laughs> we should maybe just introduce it with the Sprach Zarathustra. <laughs> sure. Like author of da, 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 The Rise of the New Pyramids. Okay. Well, well, I'll take it. But yes, please, everybody. It helps us. It gives exposure to the show, tells Apple to promote us more. So uh, the more reviews we can get, the more five-star reviews we can get, the better it is. So if you have a minute, it would be really great if you would do that. So thank you very much. Uh, I can understand why this is a hard ask right now for many listeners because, uh, Frankly, this has been a week of uh, of exceptionally crushing morosity here uh, in the new year on the commentary podcast following the hijinks and antics of the uh, House Republican caucus, uh, which continued apace yesterday with um, the passage of various uh, rules and things. And this is where it's time for us to maybe start start getting off the the Republicans are all crazy and start getting on the Republicans will never get a fair shake from the media because um, the coverage of this committee that has been apparently incepted to uh, look at the weaponization of the federal government, essentially an investigative committee, um, is being treated by the media as though this is some kind of act of infamy Um Whereas it could just be an example of oversight. Yeah, they're gonna they're operating from a theory that there are elements in the federal government that have weaponized themselves against pretty much against Trump and against Republicans. Now that theory is true. It's not even a theory. It's a fact. We've been writing about this in uh, Eli Lake in particular has been writing about this in commentary for years now. The behavior of the FBI, which to be fair was bad before Trump. I mean, its handling of the Hillary Clinton matter was outrageous and unseemly, but uh, it has been an axiom uh, in in American politics that when uh, Republicans come into the executive branch, they have to deal with uh, a kind of conventional workforce that does not, that does not function in concert with, their aims and either needs to be harnessed to that uh, effect or or kind of superseded by uh, intense, competent political action that can outweigh the uh, entropic efforts of the federal government to uh, gum up the works for more conservative or deregulatory or whatever policies there are. That's just a that's a fact. Okay. Well, so there's partisan logic on both sides. Um, the partisan logic is retro fitting this idea that the investigation into the weaponization of government arose from these claims of good governance that you you say here. That's not where it came from. Where it came from was in the immediate aftermath of the Mar-a-Lago raid. That was the impetus for it. That was the discussion around it. That was when uh, Jim Jordan told everybody to get ready because he was going to take over judiciary and Kevin McCarthy was talking to, uh, you know, saying in absentia to um, Merrick Garland, get keep your papers in order. That was the logic for this investigation in the first place. And Donald Trump has since subsequently basically admitted 
to what he's been accused of. So it'd be it would be compartmentalizing and serving a partisan purpose to ignore that. However, there is merit to your claim, specifically in the reaction to how Republicans uh, to the reaction to a Republican effort to investigate and defund the IRS, a, a media wide effort to claim that this is this is the fruit of a conspiracy theory. PolitiFact, Fact Check, Time Magazine, Reuters, USA Today, New York Times, Washington Post, all of them 100% false that the IRS has hired uh, 87,000 new agents. And it is false that they're new agents. But it is not false that the IRS has a beefed up workforce that will target Americans in order to generate new revenues. That's just simply not true. It's saying, oh, this, this new funding is only to replace an aging workforce. Well, that's not how attrition works. Just by definition, it's completely misleading to even suggest otherwise. And the notion here that just because they're not new special agents or agents generally doesn't mean that they will do the job of the IRS. The whole point of this is to generate new revenue. And the notion here that Republicans are objecting to this and somehow that their objections are false or flawed or fueled by a conspiracy theory is nonsense. It's bunk. And the entire press is on board with this, utterly uncritical of the notion here that just because they're not talking about 87,000 agents specifically, that that is in that is their the job category that they're hiring here is just nonsense. Well, this this is actually where the media, the the partisan uh, tilt of the media and it, the the bubble and the fact that they mainly talk to each other and talk to people on their side of the aisle is really going to harm them because we know. I mean, look for example at the release, you know, the the many releases of the Twitter files, you know, the stuff that Elon Musk has released. Much of that does deal with uh, proof of the weaponization of federal law enforcement against individual citizens, against groups, against people uh, saying things on social media platforms that the government at that point decided wasn't good. Now, some of that happened under Trump with regard to the COVID stuff, but we really saw it explode during the Biden administration. There's been very little acknowledgement of the reality of what a lot of these documents show. And when it is pointed out, as Noah and John have both noted, it's often the response is often, well, that's just a Republican conspiracy theory. It is dangerous misinformation to claim that this is what their motive was. So we hear we hear parsing of potential motives. We hear all of these discussions that never happen when the shoe is on the other partisan foot. And so I think, I mean, look, Jim Jordan is not the person I would want in charge of anything, quite frankly, and, and Noah's right to point out some of the, the, the very partisan motivation for this. But there we know from reporting, both Eli's and many other reporters, that this is a this is a potential problem and, and our trust in our federal law enforcement institutions has eroded significantly in the last few decades and a an actually you know thorough commission that looks at some of the ways that, that this is happening and, and the damage it has caused and, and reform measures, those would all be good things for America to have federal law enforcement, particularly the FBI, um, regain the trust of the American people. So there's potential here for something really good. Will will the Republicans pull it off? I, I don't I'm not super confident in that. But to say that the very existence of such an oversight committee is some sort of threat to democracy or some sort of you know wild partisan thing is wrong. It's not. It's unfair. Abe, um, they can't have it both ways. So on the one hand, as Noah says, uh, the effort to uh, make sure that the IRS works properly with this uh, uh, eighty billion dollars over ten years expansion of IRS funding. Um, is just a is just a kind of good governance measure, and on the other hand, they can't. They they also claim and said last night the CBO says the Congressional Budget Office says that the federal government the deficit will increase by a hundred something billion dollars if the IRS funding is somehow killed. So either the IRS is going to collect in excess of a hundred billion dollars it isn't collecting already. Or more than that, because that eighty billion, eighty billion dollars in new funding will be canceled, so that should offset against that. So it's more like two hundred billion, or or they're not. Like either, either it's going to like be a a windfall, or it's not. You can't have it both ways, right? Well, no, that's they, but they get they. Anyone who sort of mounts a vigorous argument in in defense of the IRS deserves whatever they get. <laughs> You know, in terms of being called out for hypocrisy and 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 preposterousness and whatever else, there's a, there's a good piece in reason um, that just came out about how um, 
last year, the the IRS uh, really collected like went after the the, the poorest American income earners, um, uh, and 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 that's what they got a a, a big uh, boost from, of course. Um, yeah, look, this is it has nothing to do with the issue. It is purely partisan. Uh, if 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 uh, if uh, if it's it's unthinkable. But if there were a, a sort of Democrat Democratic move to to sort of pare down the IRS, we would be we would be uh, reading all sorts of articles and think pieces about how how great and wonderful that is, and how the IRS is abusive and 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 uh, and uh, minorities suffer the worst because of it, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's well, all you got to do. You just got to think of a systemic racism angle. But Abe, have you seen the cafeterias? Have you seen the IRS cafeteria? It's terrible. It is a national scandal. Horror. The IRS yeah. cafeteria. It's, it's, it's in. It's very, Catherine Rampell's yeah. column every other week. Um. So look, here's here's a here's a conspiracy theory. Uh, Democrats have no problem with uh, the empowering the IRS not only because they want the government to be bigger and they want it to collect more money so that they can you know spend it in whatever way they want to spend it. Um, but also because uh, taxpayers are disproportionately Republican. What, what are, Federal taxpayers are disproportionately Republican. How do we know this? Because 40-some-odd percent of the American people do not pay federal taxes. As a result, by the way, almost entirely of Republican reforms to the tax code or you know changes that republicans push through to the to the tax code um and so uh democrats don't have democrats either have constituents who interestingly enough support higher tax revenues uh because they want the government to collect money from them to pay for things that they want or their voters don't pay federal taxes at all so what do they care um it is interesting what you point out about reason because there is this feature in the tax code as a result of the uh, creation of the earned income tax credit in the 1990s. So the earned income tax credit is a very interesting piece of social legislation. Uh, under its provisions, you don't get a tax break if you work but uh, – have have a very low income when you work you actually get money from the federal government for working it is a tax credit you get a check from the federal government for being employed uh this was a a considered policy when it was put in place that it was understood would be defra would be the object or it would create an incentive for massive fraud because if you could just claim that you weren't employed, get the earned income tax credit, and then A, you get a job, but you're paid under the table, number one, or number two, you get a job and you just use a kind of slightly different name uh, for your, for, you know, for your, uh, you put a middle initial in instead of your other address, you know, no one's ever going to find you. So when the earned in income tax credit was put into place, uh, legislation the legislation was written required auditing of the earned income tax credit process uh, at a very high level and this had this perverse incentive of shifting the auditing system of the federal government away from rich people to poor people or well more well-to-do people than less well-to-do people so that you are much less likely to be audited if you were a middle or you know middle to high income person today or since the earned income tax credit went in place in the mid 90s than you were in the decades previous when almost all auditing took place among people of middle to high middle income because that's that's the sweet spot that's where most of the tax collection exists and of course it doesn't make sense to audit people like trump despite what everybody thinks because they pay a lot to lawyers to go through the tax code and make sure that they are sheltering their money from from taxation and it costs them a lot of money to do that but it's less than than paying taxes would be 
and it's all going to be legal, as we've now discovered with all, you know, they just. This is the way you describe it makes it insane yeah. that Democrats don't understand that. Democrats understand this in the, in criminal context, in the term, if, if this was any other law enforcement agency, which is what the IRS is, they'd completely understand that you charge so that you can get a conviction, that you charge right. so that you can get a plea, that you charge so that you can complete the charge. Otherwise, you don't charge. This is a complaint that the left and liberals and even on the right criminal justice reformers understand implicitly about law enforcement. And yet they compartmentalize it when it comes to law enforcement to the, to the IRS. What they think is that the American people are undertaxed. They they look at Europe, they look at other places and they say, look, a 55, you know, we should have it in 1981. The top tax rate in the United States was 70 percent. Let's just go back in again. We're always talking about historical memory. I understand that some of you are younger than I am. But when I was 21 years old, the time 20 years old, the top tax rate in the United States was 70 percent. The Reagan, the evil, terrible Reagan tax cuts that took place lowered the top tax rate from 70 percent to 40 percent over three years. 70 percent. Now, even the most redistributionist person on earth can understand why that is a uh, what would you call it? That is a uh, that has all sorts of unintended consequences. You're penalizing work. You're penalizing. You're you're telling people not to not to bust their 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 tushes working because they're you know the more money they make, the more money is going to be taken away from them. They have a disincentive. And correct me if I'm create. wrong, but precisely nobody paid seventy percent. Well, but Maybe you see, it's not a question of whether you. A lot of people didn't pay 70 percent because you they still didn't... plan around having to pay 70 percent. Yeah. Me, right? So yeah, all that's... all of your all of your economic and financial efforts are made to avoid being in the top tax in that bracket. Yes. So, so you, you turn down work money. that might pay you. Either you yeah. turn down work or you or you direct money into tax shelters and things like that that are themselves wildly unproductive. Um but are better for you. In other words, like it's, there's a reason why having a very high top tax rate in a, in an unplanned economy, it's bad a planned economy too, but is a, is a really bad thing. Like it, it, it hampers economic growth. It hampers, we have, we have a perfect example of this in that time period. From 19, uh 30 or 1940 when the when the depression ended uh in the early 40s through the 1970s the dow jones industrial average went from about 400 to about 750 over almost over 40 years that was the growth of the stock market that meant not that mon much money was available for innovation or you know or you know investment uh, companies couldn't do IPO you know there was there was nothing in it the market was the stock market was a flat dead thing and uh all sorts of changes but in particular the lowering of the tax rate from it beginning in 1983 began the bull market remember it was at 770 when the bull market began and 40 years later, it's at 33,000. Now, was that the result of tax cuts? Not exclusively, but the tax cuts meant that there was more money in the hands of private individuals, less money in the hands of government. That money went into investment vehicles, mostly in the stock market, and changed the trajectory of the American economy such that it is now three times larger, I believe, than it was in 1980. Two or three, it's three times or four times larger, right? That's that's an extraordinary fact. So yes, Democrats now look at Democrats have a ready populist message, right? Which is rich people get away with murder. They're not paying their fair share. They need to pay more. In the end, if you hire these eighty-seven thousand agents, you know what they're going to end up doing? They're going to end up doing 
investigating poor and lower middle class people. You know why? Because they this is they're I think, easier no to point. bust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're easier to bust, and they don't have the resources to right. fight you. Well, they and they don't they don't have the accountants and the lawyers and the people right. who set up tax shelters yeah. and the, yeah yeah they'll just pay the yeah. they'll pay the fine because they're you're basically blackmailing them with future criminal action and so that's like right. we'll just and they offer installment pay, payment plans and stuff but yeah that yeah. well but this the other thing is like that the part of the argument that enrages me when Democrats make that argument about oh we just want to go after the rich and so the Republicans are protecting the rich you know they're not talking about first of all all the the poorest people don't pay any income tax you know they do pay sales taxes and gas taxes and all the taxes that are that are uh, through commerce but they don't pay income tax and the the problem here isn't that that we don't have enough rich people paying their share that could be a small problem the larger problem is we're spending too much money on stuff we shouldn't be spending money on and so that that other part of the argument is has traditionally been where republicans have had had a strong sort of moral suasion aspect they've lost that in the in, in the last you know several administrations, which have been spending wildly as well. But it, it is kind of enraging to hear the Democrats talk about this as if, you know, we're the Republicans want to defenestrate the the IRS for because they like rich people. I if it was really just Democrats, I'd be willing to overlook it. It's the press. It's media yeah. running this this smokescreen in defense of a Democratic initiative. If this was only to hire a bunch of secretarial positions and people to file away all those boxes in the IRS cafeteria, Democrats would be furious. Mm -hmm. Press would be furious. Mm -hmm. This would not accomplish what they want to achieve. And the fact that they're being dishonest about it in order to make some sort of a partisan point against Republicans, at least Republicans are being honest with the objective. Now, should we have a competent uh, agency that collects federal taxes because we have federal taxes to collect? Yes. I really don't think anybody would disagree with that, even maybe most Republican. I don't want to say everyone, because there's probably some lunatic out there who would say, no, we shouldn't have taxes. But it, it, it's a new news cycle. So last week we could they could talk about how we are the Republicans were tiptoeing the country to authoritarianism by by having a bit of a chaotic speaker's election. Remember, it was like this is this is terrifying. Oh my God, the chaos! It's awful. I mean, it was embarrassing in a lot of ways for Republicans. But it, this the system was set up to work this way. Now, usually we like it to be more efficient. We we would like parties to be more cohesive and unified and pick a leader more smoothly, but it didn't happen that way. But the idea that that this narrative had to be creative of like, you know, democracy on the on the brink yet again. So they need that every week. So we're going to find these stories every week where we're on That's the brink. True. It is episodic, but there is a bit of a horse sense on display here in part because the simple fact is that nobody likes the IRS. Nobody likes the IRS. Everybody hates the IRS. There's this weird thing that happens on the part of uh, the technocratic left where they say, well, the IRS is actually kind of popular. It's not. Nobody likes it. And Republicans going after it is not a bad political maneuver. But the message that rich people aren't paying their fair share, which, by the way, is itself absurd. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to, like, you know, stand here and, like, you know, defend plutocracies and all of that. But... um. I believe 50% of the tax burden in this country, the federal tax burden, is paid by 2% of taxpayers. 50% is paid by 2%. So you can say, and of course, revenues, tax revenues go up and up and up and up and up. Like it's not like the it's not like the federal government isn't awash in tax revenues every year. But but the argument. I mean, the emotional argument on the left to that is, well, it should be higher. It should be more than 50 percent, because if rich people have any excess, um, that the, that that money is better off uh, going to parties that uh, are deemed by government experts uh, who need it. And 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 that's 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 where we'll begin to see real justice. Um. So. I want to tell you guys an anecdote that is about something entirely different, but that reflects the mindset that Abe, you're you're speaking of. Uh, you remember in the 1990s there was a huge sort of uh, uh, news cycle, year long news cycle about getting money back uh, for uh, the Jews of Europe whose artwork. And bank accounts and Swiss bank accounts and everything had been uh, expropriated uh, or you know seized by by others, uh, and that Switzerland was forced to revolutionize its banking system in order to deal with the claims that 
you know, Jewish money had been put into Swiss bank accounts, people had died, and then the Swiss just basically took it for themselves because no one was coming to claim it. And they had to <clears throat> they had to offer some transparency for this famously opaque banking system. Well, so um, the World Jewish Congress, I believe, was one of the organizations that was most aggressive about this. And uh, I met once with uh, with the officials of the World Jewish Congress who um, who were interested in uh, helping this process. Uh, but they didn't just help the process, as it turns out. Uh, they were uh, they were expropriating. Some of them were expropriating money. We're sort of getting the money and then keeping it. So I met with a couple of senior officials of the World Jewish Congress who were in this thing, and I and I said to them, uh, "What do you want to do with this money? Like your the Swiss are gonna, you know, what's going to happen to it? They can't find the." family members you know if they if they can't figure out who was the depositor how do they find the family members well how's this going to work and one of these guys who eventually pled guilty to misappropriation of funds said to me well they should give it to us they should give it to us and we'll find the people that we think it should go to and of course once once this was said to me uh, my ears lit because it's like, well, why should they give it to you? Because you run an organization called the World Jewish Con. You're not a, you're not an official organization. You are a private, you know, sort of a semi NGO. But I mean, you're really not. You're just one of the many organizations. Like, why do you get it? What are you going to do with it? You're going to build a building with it, or you're going to expropriate. You're going to you're going to misappropriate it to yourselves, which is actually what happened when. I'm using this example because the idea that you look and you say, oh, my God, there's this huge pot of money that is sitting there, and I know what to do best with it. Uh, it is a very short step to I know what to do best with it to, you know what I need? I need, I've been working so hard on this process that I need to go to the Bahamas for a week. And I'm going to say that I'm, you know, I'll go to the Bahamas to have a meeting with the governor general of the Bahamas to consider to say, maybe we should find Jewish money here that was expropriated during the Holocaust. And I'll stay at a nice hotel and I'll get it because I'm working so hard on behalf of the Jewish people and all of that. And this is exactly the mindset that Dem Democrats are like, who are these rich people? They should give it to me and I'll figure out how best to distribute their excess resources to other people. And along the way, I'll make sure that, you know, union employees in the federal government get a 22% raise so that they'll vote for me. Like it, it's so inherently corrupting to be a believer in the philosophy that what other people should do is take the money that they gather and give it to me to distribute. Because when you give it to the person to distribute, he'll always take a cut off the top. Some of that will be perfectly legitimate, and a lot of it will be very questionable. And at some point, there's always some moment at which the money is skimmed. So um, I, is that analogy good? I thought it sounded good when I started. No, well, the, the only difference is that the people who want to do the skimming uh, off the top and the, the redistribution are paid by us, the taxpayer in this case, right? Like right. we pay their salaries. So we're like, it's almost like if you're an entrepreneur with a very uh, successful business. And uh, I, I mean, they're similar in part to the arguments made about the death tax, the inheritance tax, right? Like people who end up having to you know, sell their farms, which were built up by their family for generations, because the government wants half of that value of the farm versus half of any particular income derived from it after they've already been taxed on their income. So there there are these arguments that I think are very persuasive to the average American person of the left or the right who is like, you know, that just seems unfair. If you if you've built up a business and you're 
you know, succeeding and say you sell your business and you have this money, like why is the government suddenly deciding you're kind of an enemy of the public and and owe more to the public, the people who actually didn't take the financial, emotional and physical risks that you did to create a business from scratch? Like it, it, it has a it's a very short term way of thinking, too, because if you want entrepreneurship to flourish, if you want freedom to flourish in the economy, you have to have those risk takers. And a lot of them fail, too. And they don't get a they don't get a ton of breaks when they fail either. So if they succeed and they and they derive wealth from their success, that shouldn't be punished with further and more oppressive taxation. That should be encouraged because that's what keeps the economy um, moving forward and not stagnating. Abe, when when we look at, I mean, this important point that <clears throat> Christine makes, which is that uh, every dollar that exists in the United States that is earned in the course of a year in salary is taxed. Now, sometimes people evade it if particularly if they're independent contractors and they don't pay, you know, they don't have withholding and they have to do it themselves. <clears throat> but every dollar is taxed. Democrats and liberals are always looking for a way to break that system. That is what Excuse me. That is what the amendment that created the income tax system is. It's an income tax. It is not a wealth tax. It is every dollar that is earned in the United States in a given year is subject to taxation with rates that are set politically, right, by legislatures and signed into law uh, by the president. And whenever you go to Elizabeth Warren or you go to the sort of the idea that we need to break this system apart and just come up with a way. Just it's just two, two pennies off the dollar or something like that. But it's never two pennies off the dollar because it's always a violation of this fundamental precept. And it, it's fine. You know what? You want to raise the tax rate two percent. You are permitted to raise the tax rate two percent. You know how you do it? You go through Congress. You create a piece of legislation. House votes on it. Senate votes on it. You harmonize the two. You send it to the president for a signature. He either signs it or he doesn't. That is how taxation works in the United States. But there is this fantasy on the part of the left all the time that they can somehow break through into taxing taxing earned income twice in some fashion. Yeah, well, I think the fantasy is that there's no they don't distinguish between um earned what what you work for and what's deemed wealth. Um it's just this vast pool of money, you see. And it's this vast pool of sums and they don't understand why it's not being distributed in a way that they find uh, uh equitable. And you know, I I think your analogy is good. Um but I think there's another part of this, which is that even if uh, the people who are responsible for divvying out uh, the funds are um, above reproach and they there's no skimming and there's no taking for their uh, trip to the Bahamas, I don't trust their judgment anyway. Uh, I don't I don't I don't I don't know what theories they're operating on uh, that 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 inform their decisions about about who's entitled and uh and 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 who is not entitled to 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 various goodies um and that is completely and the the mindset behind this this like sort of you know uh like a like a like a plain old wealth tax um you could only imagine the, how that would inform uh the redistribution process you just said it. You said that their mindset is is that capital should be distributed equitably, yeah. not efficiently, not designed to maximize returns and the benefits from investment, which is well, what capital needs to do. Anything else is inefficient and generates less revenue and generates less return and is functionally a uh, a betrayal of responsibilities in the private sector would be responsibilities to uh, shareholders, fiduciary responsibility. And in the public sector, it's responsibility to the taxpayers. Well, and there's also, there, again, there's this, this. I've noticed this, I saw it most recently in one of Jamel Bowie's columns in the New York Times, talking about you know the, what the Republicans plan to do in the next Congress. There's a tendency now, because of the, the extreme polarization, 
to label any effort at change or reform of something that the left feels to be, you know, untouchable, like entitlements or any of the social insurance programs whatsoever, to call it authoritarian to want to change that. And you see that. I mean, obviously, partisan columnists are going to say that, but there's a there's a way in which turning a what used to be a kind of regular partisan function of how our government works, which is one side gains power and wants to change things, that's now authoritarian. That's now threatening to democracy. There's a way in which that is is a deliberate effort to close off any discussion of certain things, right? Those are taken off the table because you're going to be labeled an authoritarian if you if you do that. It's a direct attack on more moderate Republicans because the, the fringe doesn't care and kind of revels in being called authoritarian. But it's those centrists who actually are the ones who are going to determine that the, the state of power in the next election, that that targets. So you have people in Congress who might be careful about wanting to reform some stuff because they're going to be attacked as authoritarian for doing so. It's it's very harmful to the political process. I mean, you know, ultimately, this is where the. I would say increase oddly enough, the increasingly partisan nature of the press, um, I would have said three or four years ago, the press was less partisan than that. It had become sort of like, um, you know, it, it had moved in ideological lockstep toward the left, particularly culturally. But I think over the last year, year and a half, not only because there was a vested interest in making sure that Biden succeeded and however you wanted to characterize that success, because uh, you wanted to prevent Trump from coming back into power or something like that. And then also Biden having thrown in his lot with the left uh, in terms of his legislative agenda, uh, was doing what what they wanted, but we now really do have this thing where there was an election in 2022. It didn't go the way that Republicans wanted it to, but they did end up in charge of the House. So they're now in charge of the House, and they want to treat this as though everything that Republicans want to do as the majority in the House is illegitimate, and it's the opposite of illegitimate. Like if you like the results of the Senate election because they gave Democrats power in the Senate. You can't then say that it's illegitimate for Republicans to pursue their aims in the House because the House elections were just as legitimate as the as the Senate elections. But yeah, so if you say Republicans made promises on the campaign trail, they weren't going to they were going to do what they could to stop the IRS from growing the way that the um, was it the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that had the that had the money for the uh, new irs agents i think it was right i I can't remember anyway first of all it's not going to happen let's just make this clear so we're having this whole discussion it's all theoretical because you would have to in order to remove the a seven billion dollars you would have to revise a piece of legislation democrats in the senate aren't going to vote for it so it doesn't matter this is all a kind of interesting academic conversation about or you know whatever political science conversation about the nature of the way the two parties view taxation taxation policy and how and how the economic system is supposed to work none of this is going to happen the only thing that is going to happen that is meaningful uh in terms of what happened yesterday is the creation of that committee uh to investigate, you know, the general malfeasance of the federal government in its pursuit of, um, in its, however, however you want it, the weaponization of the federal government. So if you don't think that's fair, you don't want to characterize that way. I understand that. And it is demagogic to begin with the notion that what you're doing is investigating the weaponization of the federal government. Like it's, it's, you're not giving anything the benefit of the doubt you're you know you're not innocent until proven guilty you're already your conclusion is there at the beginning except it's true i mean it's not necessarily criminally true but it's certainly logistically true that as i say as i said at the outset that the when republicans take charge of the executive branch they face opposition from the powers within the executive branch the permanent bureaucracy within the executive branch and you know that's that's a that's a fact it's a fact of you know four decades duration it's a fact that was present uh beginning with reagan and has you know seen every president have to deal with it usually 
it's it's in it can be in rather highfalutin areas like it's in the state department in the state department that's exactly. where it's, so, that's that's my particular source of frustration right. every time we have a republican president is they have diplomatic initiatives that are resisted by ill-defined unseen forces inside the diplomatic corps right and that by the way that was where a lot of this argument started in the Reagan administration was this question of whether or not the State Department, the Foreign Service, which is, of course, a permanent bureaucracy within the State Department, civil service, a sort of civil service within the civil service, whether it was loyal to the aims of the people who had been elected and not loyal to their own understanding of how the world worked. And that was a major focus of a lot of conservative activism in the 1980s was... Yeah, it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's going to have to be the focus of conservative activism in this new century, too, that the Foreign Service has gone completely woke. I mean, I hate that right. word, but, you know, it's become uh, it's fully embraced the DEI kind of campus like environment for diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives in a way that that I, I mean, I think it would be easy to argue to the American public actively undermines what their actual mission is. Even before, it's hard to remember how much resistance Colin Powell, of all people, faced in 2001. In 2002, I remember it very vividly and being and shocked, being shocked by the degree to which there was resistance to um, what I thought were pretty well-founded initiatives and minor, modest reforms to American foreign policy uh, that were just tooth and nail resisted by the bureaucracy. Yeah. So so now we have a slightly different thing going on, which is this question of whether or not the powers of the executive branch uh, in in subpoenas and law enforcement stuff like that, whether the, they were whether they were misused, uh, which is a which is a, a species of a different thing. That's not just like active impeding the um, impeding the deployment of policy, but uh, but actually using tools that uh, are granted with some concern over civil liberties. To the federal government and then using them however you wish them to be used to to you know because the ends justify the means they believe that the you know terrible people or russian agents are taking over the federal government and need to be stopped and if you have to play a little fast and loose history will history will forgive you and and we should note as a point of historical record that all of those claims about particularly about the russian interference online it influencing people with its disinformation campaign have shown where ha, scholars have been studying that for years since the 2016 election and there isn't evidence that it really swayed a lot of people's minds so even that you know kind of constant evocation of russian interference you know assuming i guess that the american people are all stupid and would just be swayed by it has proven to be it which was part of their argument for that sort of behavior is also not true and i just want to make one point i'm going to zigzag here because yesterday i was praising ron DeSantis. um but i have to say this discussion of the weaponization of governance of government <clears throat> Reminds me of several conversations we've had here about DeSantis's move on Disney uh, and taking away their special tax status and and how much that was um, celebrated and applauded by um, a lot of the same people on the right who uh, are are up in arms rightfully about the weaponization of governance of government. Um that move, which I, which, which you know, we we talked about, but sort of mixed, uh, um, uh, we we assessed in a sort of mixed way. Noah was, I think, made 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 a very strong, articulate case against that. That leaves Republicans and and right wingers open to hypocrisy here. Right. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think that's actually coming due. Right. Is that why you brought it up? I mean, I think that. Whatever that uh, Reedy Creek uh, uh, compact with Disney that basically gave Disney um, extensive, I don't know, private government powers um, is actually now going to go through. Like, I I, I think municipal powers. Municipal yeah, powers. and not and law. By the way, and there's now, no law enforcement right. involved here. Like the, he wasn't subpoenaing. Yeah. So, I mean, like that's no, that's the right. one distinction. This right. Is, yeah. And yes, you're right. It's been quietly paired back to. Right. Well, now I guess Reedy, the Reedy Creek Special District can't operate a nuclear reactor. Well, I don't as really that, know as if that was left. what anybody cared about. Right. Uh, it's no, it, but, the, the yeah. payback is always quieter, and nobody cares about it. It's always about the theater of the 
of the, uh, you know, the uh, big muscular attack on these institutions that aren't doing things that conservatives like, which I don't like either. But that doesn't mean you should wep- literally weaponize the federal government in order to make co- private enterprise do what you want them to do. Or state government in this case. But I mean, Abe is right that it was the, the posturing itself is a problem for Republicans if they're going to be the side that's like, let's not weaponize the power of the state against the average guy, average person. Right. Let's not do that. Let's not do that against even our political oh, I enemies. I can hear them now where you say Disney's a just a private person. Disney has so much power, Christine. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Florida. I know Disney's power, as if <laughs> as if relative power of an institution you're right. targeting for retribution should be what you're the metric you use to justify retributive public policy. Right. Okay. So I, I think that totally capricious. I think that we're beyond we've, we we we've now moved so far beyond our ability to uh, presume that political figures, parties, intellectuals and all that are going to be honest on on the hypocrisy level as i think people used to twist themselves into pretzels to make sure that they were at least theoretically consistent and like you know create new ways of using language in order to say that they in order not to be accused of hypocrisy and to say they were consistent and that's one thing that trump broke that i don't think is ever going to be fixed again which is you say X and then you say Y the next day and you're just giving your own people, you do that in order to sort of make sure that your own people can say, well, he said why, you know, well, how dare we, you say otherwise. And now that's going to be the playbook, speaking of hypocrisy about this, this new, you know, classified documents found uh, under at the vice president when, when Biden was vice president found at the think tank where he, where he has some documents if Trump broke it, then it's going to be applied on the other side to say we are certainly the media is circling the wagons immediately. They're like, this is completely different. It was accidental. It's it's not about nuclear stuff, like immediately saying it's a completely distinctive thing. When Biden himself, like a month ago, went on 60 Minutes and was like, this is we're really actively pursuing these sorts of cases this is very important for us as a matter of justice, blah, blah, blah. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think the hypocrisy stuff is broken. It's a shame because it was one of the most powerful tools for the people, a non-populist tool for the American people to sort of look at their politicians and their elected officials and say, right. wait a minute. <laughs> well, the fact right. is, this is a common thing and it's and it's commonly prosecuted. What? The the mis, uh, mishandling of mishandling classified, of classified yeah. material, inadvertently or inadvertently. And sometimes it's prosecuted and it's rare to see somebody go to the mattresses over it. I mean, really fight hammer and tong to try to, you know, in court, get a judgment and against their conduct when really you should just give it up. And that's pretty much what we're seeing from the president. It might have been an accident. It sometimes is an accident. And one of the things you do when it is an actual accident is not hire an army of lawyers and try to make a federal case out of it. And the my oh. boxes theory, the, the legal theory of my boxes. Right. Then right. it becomes a little an obstruction. Different. Right. It becomes obstruction rather than just the that's the charge. Exactly. Right. That's the crime. Right. right. Well, first of all, there's no crime yet. He's not been charged with anything. It's not obstruction yet. Uh, and we don't know the details here. Like what we know is somehow somebody figured this out and told CBS News that this had happened. It happened two months ago. Yeah, apparently. I was going to say it, it was not released to the public. It happened just before the midterms. And there right. that that part of the story to me is from a media standpoint, really interesting, if not. Oh, surprising. yeah. Right. Not at way, all surprising. Right. right. And not only not only so did we not know about it for months, we would never know about it if not for what happened at Mar-a-Lago. Um, right. It wouldn't be a story. No one would care. I wouldn't care if I found out about it and no one knew about it. Look. The federal government overclassifies material. There were 10 billion pieces of paper around the around the Obama White House. Biden was vice president for eight for years. Eight years, yeah. They pack years. up boxes. If there are 10 documents in these boxes that that said classified at the top, uh that's 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 nothing, depending on what they are. Uh however, we don't know that there are 10. We don't know who packed the boxes and we don't know what the documents are. And while we should presume innocence, uh, we don't 
need that we're at the beginning of this story uh and the fact that Merrick Garland was compelled to say that he was looking very seriously into this matter is important it's also important i think for people to understand or you know like the sort of anti-trump left or whatever the anti-trump forces to understand that there are things that trump did that that were completely unprecedented and there then there are things that he did that were not unprecedented and like being sloppy with classified information in the wake of the end of the presidency is not <clears throat> unprecedented uh, yes, people are prosecuted for it, and it's bad. And if he was incredibly resistant in that crazy way that he has, then you know he'll suffer for it. And what's more, he has suffered for it. Let's face it. I mean, we'll see if he's charged or whatever happens. But you know, his position in the Republican, what happened from the Mar-a-Lago raid forward, is um, he is a much more compromised figure. His support in the Republican Party has. If it hasn't collapsed, it has gone through some kind of a crucible. And uh, that's all datable, really, to this moment in time. When I think, as I said at the time, there was this bizarre messianic pop culture theory that, like, if you strike me down, I will be more powerful than ever. You know, if you come at me at Mar-a-Lago, you'll see you're going to be sorry because I will, you, I, you will now see the full wrath of my forces against you. And it's like, no, here's what happened. Like the public, what happened is there was a raid at Mar-a-Lago by the FBI because you mishandled classified documents. And then you said I had the right to mishandle classified documents. That doesn't look good. Like uh, in the party that believes in law enforcement and being tough on crime and stuff like that it doesn't look good. And maybe you think that you can martyr yourself for everybody, but it's maybe not going to work well, so well. So, I mean, it is going to put I mean, there, there are two things here. One is that uh, my prediction is that Biden's going to throw a vice president, one of his vice presidential staffers under the bus here. The media is going to be like, oh, yeah, it, because, he, I mean, he went on 60 Minutes and said it's really irresponsible what Trump did. I don't know how this could happen. So he either has to be like, I, too, was irresponsible, but I'm taking responsibility for it now. He won't do that. He's going to throw someone under the bus. The media is going to accept that. It's going to disappear. But the Trump thing is interesting because to charge him with what they can likely actually get some sort of conviction on, it's not going to be the kind of charges that the media and that the anti-Trump forces want. It's going to be something technical. It's going to be something about obstruction. It's going to be something that's that's going to take a little while to unfurl. But also those charges are going to come before a presidential election. And he's a candidate. He's a declared candidate. So there are so many sort of political and legal minefields to navigate in the next two, you know, leading up to 2024. I mean, they can't. And if he is charged, then a trial happens. And if it happens in D.C., which some people are talking about him being charged in D.C. because the archives is in D.C. rather than, in, you know, if he's charged here, there's like there's a whole process for this that could could drag on and. That, that will have an impact on his ability to do things. But I'm with John. I mean, I do think it, it made him less of an appealing figure. I mean, he spends his, he spent a lot of his time crashing weddings and, you know, mourning the death of Diamond of Diamond and Silk on his, you know, Truth Social. He's He's been very reactionary and kind of out of it. Um, but we'll see. I, I think this could revive his base if he's actually charged this summer. I would say, like, if he's charged sometime this summer or early fall, it's going to... Or if fizzles. If fizzles. Sandy Berger caught a charge four years after the fact right they could drag it out to a yeah. misdemeanor it was right. it did not register i mean right. it was just you know sort of trivia a but reminder was, of, of sandy burger was also hubris like trump like that was what was so frustrating about the sandy burger thing like he it was hubris on his part he's like i just think i can help myself to these documents because i'm an important official who used to oh, have security clearance i mean i don't i don't think that's what happened with sandy burger at all Sandy well, he was Berger about to acted, testify. Sandy Berger right? acted for the 9/11 like, Commission. Yeah. yeah, but Sandy Berger acted like a comic criminal in a Carl Hyacin novel. Like he took classified documents and from the National Archives socks, yeah. and put them in his socks. Right, right, right. But I think he thought because he I think his motivation his was, well, I I should have access to these. It's more convenient yeah, for me to have them at home. He was like, I better go <laughs> get these documents and destroy them because they're going to make me look. But there were, but there, Clint look really bad. But there and were I'm copies put them of them in my socks. He put <laughs> I, them look, in his think, socks. National Security Advisor to the President of the United States put classified documents in his socks. It's like it's like it's it's comic. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was I just think. 
You're saying you think it would help Trump if he were charged? No, I'm just saying I think it will regalvanize that part of his base that has always seen him as a martyr to the to the to his opponents and they've they haven't really been reminded of that recently and they ha- I don't think they're closely tracking all the legal stuff that's going on with those charges. It's not been in the news cycle for a while. It could return in a way that that would invigorate them. Um it at could the I would say this we miss on we we i was about to say we misunderestimated we we underestimated <laughs> uh how bad uh the mar-a-lago raid was going to be for him uh because we sort of took it for granted that he had such a hypnotic hold over enormous parts of the republican party that this would sort of create a groundswell toward him and it turns out that it didn't well who are vastly overrest over represented in congress yeah lauren bobert wouldn't take his call recently the origins of the weaponization of government (laughs) investigation that we're talking about are the mar-a-lago raid and the the reaction on the part of republican officials who said we got to nominate this guy by acclamation because he's being persecuted right itself is illogical yeah, but but I do think the Biden story, and I'm not saying I don't know what what the outcome is here. I think it is the the sort of the first headline in a long time that is unmistakably the unmistakably does Trump a favor, and I think right. a, a, a pretty sizable favor. I mean, that's true. It also about- I'm not talking legally. I'm just talking about the public perception of it. You could say this is different, and they, they cooperated right away, and there maybe only a few no, documents. No, it doesn't matter because once you're down into those details. The, this right. sort of overarching story that, oh, my God, Trump <clears throat> had uh, uh, classified documents outside of the White House. Yeah. There's a lot of cold water poured on that. Well, I mean, I think that's Christine's point, which is that, you know, Biden, what, one thing that Trump can now say is everybody did it. Everybody does. What happened here is something I did. I, other people have done it, too. This is this is ridiculous. The you know and and that that's a the prosecutors that, have to prosecute them all the same. That's the part that like I yeah. mean that to, for it to be fair because otherwise future people who steal documents can point to either Biden or point to Trump and say you know what they didn't get prosecuted and they had much higher okay. level stuff. Okay, but to be fair now to the you know evil uh, weaponized government, National Archives discovered documents were missing. They told Trump, they called Trump, they had a process, they went down, and it turned out that they were lied to, that they yeah, said, he okay, here's everything that we have. Right. And they handed it over, and it turned out it wasn't everything they had. And Trump said, don't look at my box. And they moved them from one place in Mar-a-Lago to another, and they locked it in a room, and they bought all that stuff. And that's what we don't know happened with Biden. Like, in fact... If it's more like, oh, my God, we just found these documents, oops, like, come get them, mm-hmm. then intent is – obstruction is about intent. It's not just about – you can't inadvertently obstruct justice. Like, you have to – obstruction is an No, the act, media will do it on active. your behalf if you're a Democrat. Right, <laughs> right. but you know it. what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it does matter. Trump showed – at least on two occasions, or the Trump people showed that they were actively seeking sure, yeah. to impede the effort of the National Archives of the federal government to reclaim material that he did not have the right, right. to possess. And he stopped that. Now, either he can say, well, this was all chaos and I didn't know it was in the boxes, which is sort of, or he can say, I declassified all of it, which he tried to say. Or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, it does matter what Biden did versus what Trump did. Now you're right. right politically, right now this is like the first go ho ho ho, and this is the danger. This is what I was trying to say before, but I'm I got a cold and I'm not thinking that clearly. If you want to go for gotchas against people in the other party, you better be careful about what it is that you're going gotcha for, because if you do it and they do it, then it's going to come back to bite you on the patootie like you 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 better be caesar's wife if you're gonna say i am shocked at the gambling going on you know if you're gonna be claude rains in casablanca i was gonna say uh, calpurnia in casablanca (laughs) calpurnia in casablanca right you can't good name for your new tour company you just started (laughs) oh that's good yeah exactly anyway i'm just saying yeah you can either be caesar's wife or you can be part of the corruption but you can't be both like it doesn't it doesn't work 
that way. And yeah, you'll get, it's not just hypocrisy, by the way. It's sort of like everybody goes, eh. you know, like even, even people who want to suck up to you are going to have a little bit of a problem with that if you start stonewalling. Uh, and there's a look, this story came out from CBS News. It's not like it came out on, on the One America Network. Like it's a, so I don't know. Anyway, so uh, here we are and we're done. So we'll be back tomorrow and hopefully Noah and I will both be coughing less on the mute uh, than, than we did today. So for I, I'll get your hopes up. I'm getting my hopes up. Can Take I get my NyQuil. hopes up? What? NyQuil? No, I don't know. Something. Something for the... You want me to take NyQuil before the podcast? I'll no, no, that. don't do that. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> like yeah. podcast after dark, but with drugs. Exactly right. Okay. <laughs> so for Abe, Christina, and Noam, John Podhoritz, keep the candle burning.